0: I remember thinking as a young man, 18, 19 years old, that uh, I better really walk closely with God in the next couple of years. Because I figured in the next three or four years, I was going to make all of the big decisions in my life. And that after that, it was going to be, not not that there weren't going to be decisions to make, but really those first couple of years decide, you know, would I or wouldn't I be married and what kind of job or occupation would I go to? What would I study in college? Um, Where would I live? These questions seemed like huge questions and I just didn't want to stray from where uh, God had me in any way. And I I remember we'd been dating Jeannie for a long time and she and I wrestled with is this what God wants us to do? It seems like everything's going so well, should we get married? And uh, we took time and prayed, and and uh, like that decision mattered, and it did, and those years mattered, but what I didn't know is that those four years weren't like the only four years of how I was going to be stretched and how necessary it was for me to cling to God. I remember teaching a college class, uh, I would teach different groups as I was growing up as a man, and... And, um, and in my place in the church. And I had college ministry for a while. And in that college ministry, that's when it dawned on me. It wasn't just then that I had these big decisions. I needed Christ to lead me, desperately needed him to lead me daily. That there were decisions being made every day that could move me towards shipwrecking my life or move me towards being in ministry and being used powerfully by God. And I'm so thankful that God didn't give me a map when I was 18 years old that said, this is how it's going to go. Just make sure that you're in Fox River Grove when that lot becomes available because you're going to be buying that lot. It wasn't how it happened at all. It was discovery with Christ daily. And at 57 years old, I am in the same boat that I was back when I was 19 years old wondering, God, what next? How will you use me and how important it is to walk intentionally with God? Did you know that we can walk intentionally with God today? Meaning the next decisions that we make can bring life and bring harvest and bring hope and joy. And does God care about where we work? Does God care about where we live? Does God... Well, I think God ordains it and sends us and moves us. And he doesn't stop until we go home, when I think he's going to move us again. But while we're here, it is desperately important that we walk intentionally with God. Today we're looking at Acts 17, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to see this next section of the narrative of Paul's second missionary journey. Acts 17, verses 1 through 15, and I'll read through the whole passage But in this passage, we'll see that we can proclaim, we can boldly proclaim Christ, we can wisely endure hardship, and we can humbly respond to God's word. Beginning in verse 1 of Acts 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. We can walk intentionally with God. In this passage, I want you to see these three movements that first is proclaiming Christ. Now, Paul has been proclaiming Christ throughout his his first missionary journey in towns that have never heard of Jesus or have heard only very little about Jesus at this point. And when going into a synagogue, which was his custom to go into the synagogues of these towns that he visited in his first missionary journey, He would go into the synagogues and he would tell them that this is the answer to all that they've studied in the Old Testament. They didn't have an Old Testament. They had the scriptures. They didn't see it as the Old Testament at that point. So they're reading what we know as the Old Testament and they're studying that and they study it and know it to a large degree much more than we do. They're looking at that and Paul comes in and says, by the way, here's the answer to Isaiah 53. Here's the answer to... The prophecies in the Old Testament of the suffering servant, the one who had to suffer and die. And he did that throughout the first missionary journey, and now he did it into his second missionary journey, and he was brought into Macedonia. We saw God leading last week in a way that wasn't expected. Should we go south? Should we go north? No, to Macedonia. And they go to Philippi, and in Philippi, they do it again. They preach the gospel again. Do you imagine, as they make this trip from Philippi to Thessalonica, it's 102 miles as they walk, and that's going to take days for them to walk this, maybe a week. As they come to Thessalonica, maybe as they're talking, they say, well, let's come up with a new plan. This isn't going well. The last place we were beaten and imprisoned. What if we preach a different gospel? What if we tell them something else other than Jesus died and rose and now they can be saved? Maybe we say it differently. Maybe we soften it. Maybe we, isn't there a plan where we don't get beaten? Maybe they're asking God as we're going, and I don't think they actually asked that, by the way. But I think people have, over the years, asks. maybe we need to change it. Maybe we need to soften it. Maybe we need to tell them something different. Let's get together and talk about how wonderful it would be to have a community that loves each other and cares for each other. We'll call it the church, and then after they're part of us for a year or so, we'll tell them about Jesus and about the gospel. problem with that is they don't get the Spirit until they receive Christ. So they can't really be part of the church until they go through the gospel. We see as they enter into Thessalonica the same message. Now, I'm not saying they didn't talk about food and they didn't talk about where they're going to live and they didn't talk about other things. Their main job here is to preach the gospel and that's what they talk about. And they waste no time going into the synagogue regardless of how they've been received in the past. In verse 2, it says, well, they passed through this road that took 102 miles, get to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews in Thessalonica, which was the capital of Macedonia. Thessalonica would have had 40 to 65,000 people as a part of their town. Philippi, 10,000. They're moving from a not a small town in Philippi, but they're moving to a much larger metropolis in Thessalonica. And they boldly preached Christ. Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, what does it mean, three Sabbath days? It means that for three Sabbath days, he gave this chance for them to hear the gospel first. They believed at this point that it was to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. That the Jews had to have a chance to hear about their Messiah. They were the people of God. The people of God is being redefined, as painful as that is. It's being redefined as coming through circumcision and coming through Abraham and coming through the law of Moses to coming through Christ, the new covenant that was promised in the Old Testament. This isn't something new. This is a continuation of what God did. And now he's doing this new work that is building off of the work that he did in the Old Testament. So they go in and for three Sabbaths, for three weeks, they preach to the Jews and to others. But Paul wants it to be declared that we went and told the Jews the truth. And not only telling them, it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures in verse 2. He explaining and proving, and it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, the Christos. He is the one who came, who is the child of David. He is the promised king, he is the promised Messiah. He is the long-awaited one who answers your prayers, and he did it through his death and resurrection. Now, this is hard to hear for lots of reasons, and one of those reasons it's hard to hear, I imagine, is that they have been told for generations that this is what's going to happen and this is how it'll happen. The Romans will be overthrown, the Greeks will be overthrown, anyone who would stand in the way of this king will be overthrown and he will rule and we will be on easy street finally. Things will get way better for us as Jews, we will be able to go home and flourish. And just like David and Solomon had a kingdom that just expanded and and flourished, the expectation is this Messiah, the Christos, would come and he would change everything from their perspective and their plight. And as an aside, we we have to pause and ask, is that what we expect when we become Christians? That if we follow Jesus, that if we are in the Spirit when we make those decisions as a young man about where I'll live and if I'll be married and will I have a job and and all of those things that, that seem so huge to you when you're young, If I make those decisions, does that mean my life will be easy? Does that mean I'll have less sickness? Does that mean I'll have less difficulties and problems? And the reality is, that isn't at all the promise of the gospel. But the promise of the gospel is that you will have joy and that you will have purpose and that you will have life that is everlasting and it will spring forth and one day We will join Christ where he reigns and all of this will be solved and we will suffer no more. But right now, the promise is that you'll suffer. That's why the prosperity gospel is heinous because it actually lies and sets the expectation that if I follow Jesus, I'm going to be rich and popular and happy from the world's perspective. And that's not at all what happened for this generation and not at all the promise for us in the gospel. And knowing that, here's Paul continuing to boldly proclaim Christ to people who may not receive it very well. And he not only proclaims Christ, he reasons with them, he explains it, and he proves it from Scripture that this had to be so. And in verse 4, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. What kinds of decisions do we make today? And how does it affect our lives? How important is it that we walk intentionally with God and are about His business in our lives? Well, I can tell you that at age 57, there's no small amount of decisions that need to be made God did not lay out my life for me in a way that I understood everything that was about to happen or what would happen I have had plenty of curveballs where you're like okay God that doesn't make sense that was not part of my plan and yet God is at work and moving his people and he requires us to cling to him we're just saying I need you every hour is that true Do you need Jesus every hour? Because it's not just about where we are, but it's about how we are when we're there. And proclaiming Christ is necessary to walk intentionally with God. We define from this passage that we can boldly proclaim Christ. We also see that we can wisely endure hardship. Verses 5 through 9. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble who formed a mob, and they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So who are the Jews that we're talking about? I want you to know that Paul is Jewish, and that the church is peopled with Jews. He's not talking about Jewish people in general. He's talking about the Jewish leaders in this town of Thessalonica, that they are pushing against the gospel message, and they are working behind the scenes to undo the work that Paul is doing. They can't debate him to his face. He is proving it from Scripture that this is the one, but they're unwilling to receive it, and being unwilling to receive it, they're going to fight against Paul the way that they know how to fight against Paul. They're jealous, it says, and I don't think they declared, I'm jealous. I think jealousy drove them, and the scriptures tell us that that's what's driving these particular Jewish people. And they took some wicked men. That would mean they took people that could be bought. Didn't matter whether they agreed or not. They should have had a moral problem here. And it's behind the scenes where nobody sees, so they purchased a rabble It's my version calls it. They formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jacob, seeking to bring him out to the crowd. Why is setting the city in an uproar so important? Well, in Roman law, the expectation, if you were occupied, if you were an occupied area, is that you wouldn't gather together and do anything that would bring... any group of people that would come against the leadership in Rome. So it's against the law to gather together and to have meetings that would bring rebellion to the Roman rule. So if the Jewish people can show that Paul is with others trying to get people to go against the religions of the day or go against the leadership of the day in Rome, then he can, they can be done with him. They can have the Roman people fight against Paul, and that's what they're trying to accomplish. So they get this group of people, and they set the city in an uproar. They go around talking and maybe handing out bribes that are, that are trying to get people to speak against Paul and the others. And they go to Jason's house, and presumably this is where Paul and Silas are living at this point. They're in Jason's house, who is a convert, with some of the brothers. And they drag Jason and the brothers that they can find before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Not talking about Jason. Jason lives here. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Jesus. This would be a common tactic used against the church in the early days to persecute the church, to persecute Christians, to fight against the gospel. They would say, You talk about Jesus as king, but we have no other king than Caesar. Well, hang on a minute. As a Jew, don't, isn't Yahweh your king? What are you saying? But they're using this argument to draw attention to what Paul is doing, and they're trying to have him put away. Now, you notice in my point, I say we can wisely endure hardship. How do we endure hardship? Our hardship is different today. There are all kinds of hardships that we deal with, and if we decided to put them up on the screen and talk about them, it would be plenty. And hardships haven't gotten smaller, it seems. It seems like they've at least continued at the same level, even though we aren't persecuted like they were persecuted then. But we deal with hardships all the time. How do we manage them? Well, I put in here wisely endure hardships because I want you to see how Paul and how Jason handled this hardship. In verse 8, and the people of the city and the city authorities were disturbed and when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Jason and the household of Christians that have just gathered this baby church that Paul will write 1 Thessalonians to in just a few months, this baby church considers, prays, and comes up with a solution for Jason and the household. They pay... Their bail. They give money as a promissory note that will return and face the charges. Now, what is, you know, is that wise? Well, this is their decision. But look in verse 10, what happens? Now it happened different in Philippi. In verse 10, it says the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, which is 50 miles away. And why did they do that this time? Why did Paul and Silas, where where there was fertile ministry to be done when they were beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, isn't that a one-size-fits-all answer for Christians when they deal with difficulties, that we just stay there and take a beating? The answer is no. The answer is we need to be walking in the Spirit and discover how we handle the difficulties that we're handling. Somebody might be able to come up and testify their story about cancer. Or their story about brokenness in their family. And their story is just that. It's their story. But God writes into all of our stories. And discovering how to wisely endure the hardships that we deal with is simply walking in the Spirit and discovering what He wants us to do now, today. There's not an easy answer. I, I've read books that have you know, three steps to... Battle temptation, 10 steps to discover your spouse. I mean, that's not true. All of us have a life that is unique, and we discover together and on our own, by the power of the Spirit, how we are going to handle what we've been through. Now, from my perspective, I have the privilege of knowing many of your stories and knowing many of the difficulties that you're walking through. And the more that I know, the more humbled I am as I approach them, that I don't have the answer. One size fits all for what you're going through. I know the one who does. I know he knows how to lead you through this and actually turn what you're going through into something that's eternal and profitable for the kingdom and for you. Have eternal value. Lord, why am I battling depression? We talked about that in men's ministry yesterday. Depression. Well, in part, that answer is so that I can be glorified in your life and you'll trust me with that depression. God is at work and it's our we can wisely endure hardship. We can boldly proclaim Christ. Finally, we can humbly respond to God's word. Back to verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. This is just comparing the Jewish leadership and the people that were in positions of authority in the synagogue. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them believed. I've entitled this section, We Can Humbly Respond to God's Word. I love the Berean response. I love their humility. I think what people are struggling with in the synagogue, if I'm trying to understand the human condition. People who have studied the word of God their whole lives and someone comes in and says, by the way, you missed it. You're off. You need to change. And as they come in and make this explanation of of the conclusion of all that they've been studying, there's something in them, part of it being pride, that says, who are you to tell me that I was missing something? Who are you to correct my course theologically. Who are you to say that I'm offline here? And I think it is an incredibly dangerous thing for us as the people of God to approach God's word as if we have it figured out completely and that no one else can teach us something or that we can't be changed. There is a position where we come before God's word that I wish we were all Berean, that we would all come before God's word hopefully expecting that he will change our theology, that he will open up our eyes to more of who he is, that he'll change our hearts. We need desperately the word of God. Jesus said that man does not live by bread alone, but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus himself relied on the scriptures as he grew in the knowledge of God. It's mind-blowing that the one who authored scripture is growing in the knowledge of God because of his humanity. How much more are we called to grow in our knowledge of God's word? This is an area that if we want to be changed and to stay close to God, we have to be humbly open-handed and expecting God to change us, to change our character, to point out our failures, to tell us when we're wrong. And they did it eagerly. That's what it says in verse 11. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't just take what Paul and Silas preached and say, okay, you're right, we're just going to do what you say. Is this it? We got the answers? Okay, got the answers. I'm done. They took what Paul and Silas said and they opened up the word of God and checked it. Is this true? And I encourage you to do the same with me when I'm preaching. I encourage you to come to me and say, Todd, wouldn't it have been better? I mean, I have friends in the church that do this for me. I'm so thankful that they do. And there have been times where I've had, I say, you're right. That wasn't wasn't as good as it could have been preached. I didn't capture what God said there correctly. And oh, how I pray and work hard at making sure that I do capture what he's saying correctly. But I'm human. This is divine. And we would all be wise to humbly respond to God's word. The expectation is that we've got a long way to go. When I was a young man, back in my late teens and early 20s, I was really hopeful and expectant that I was walking really closely with God and had life pretty figured out. I had a couple of decisions to work through, a couple of sins to click off, and off we go. Man, I am really a godly young man. The wisdom of age has not been affirming to that. The wisdom of age is the more that I know of Christ, the more I know I have such a long way to go. that I am so far from finished. And that when I come to the Scripture and and when I come to church, the expectation is that God will change me because I need Him desperately to change me. Don't you? There is a a temptation to say this is as good as I'm going to get until Jesus returns. Don't ever say it. There's a temptation to say, well, I've been struggling with that for 15 years. Let's just call it quits and say, that's who I am. Don't you ever say it. Humbly come to God's word, expecting him to change. The wonder of what the Bereans did is they eagerly examined daily to see if this was so. Many more of them believed, therefore, not a few Greek women of high standing, As well as men. This is the second time in our sermon, the passage that we're studying for this sermon, where the women are mentioned. Women of high standing in this section, and then in the section before, speaking of the women in Thessalonica that came to faith. And the picture is that God is drawing women into the church and using women who are businesswomen and women who have strengths and gifts. And I just want this to be remembered when we study 1 Timothy and we look at what does it mean in the roles of men and women in the church and in families. Because I've heard it said that maybe Paul doesn't like women very much. Well, why are they running to the church and to the ministry that he's serving in? I don't think that's fair or even true. I think there is a picture that we will open one day and spend more time in when I preach 1 Timothy. But I'm here to tell you that women are flourishing in the church and should be still today using all of their gifts for God's glory. And I'm a complementarian. Verse 13 says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Again, we see God moving his people through the evil that man intends. This is a remarkable thing about the power of God's leadership, that we can walk with God intentionally, we can trust him because he sovereignly uses other people's evil plans for his good intentions. That's a shocking thing. I want you to know that the one who means evil for you in your life, and that can be in your past, in your present, or in your future, that one who means evil for you in your life is not bigger than God nor his good intentions for you. And as Paul is being moved and he you know, leaves in the middle of the night for Berea and now he's having to leave again as these guys, but God is using that to drive him to Athens and to expand the gospel and to plant churches. They think they're winning and God's not mocked. And God's good plans are not going to be thwarted because somebody next door to us did something that, they, that hurt our feelings. That's not going to thwart God's plan. In fact, God will use that for his glory. God's not surprised by things not working out at work for you the way that he wants or the illness that you're struggling with or the family difficulties that you're struggling with. God, if we trust him and humbly come to him and expect that... He, he wants us to walk intentionally with him. He will turn all of those things for his good purposes. Every one. Does that mean he chose the evil? No. He uses the evil for good. I can't imagine. 57 years old, I cannot imagine living my life without God's leadership in my life. Without him without the expectation that he is going to lead me into the next. I would feel scared to death if it was up to me. And I miss the mark. I am confident I miss the mark regularly. But I am thankful for a God who puts my feet back on the path and that I can trust. In the heart of this sermon, what I want you to know is that we can walk intentionally with God. And when we walk intentionally with God, there is the promise of eternal future for all that we're doing. It has a purpose. And maybe you'd raise your hand and say, well, Todd, I'm really young. Doesn't I have to wait till I'm making really big decisions when I'm 19 or 20? Well, I'm telling you, you're making big decisions today. You're deciding if you're going to walk with Jesus at school. And I don't think any of us want to go back to that and have to walk with Jesus at school. It's an important work that you're doing. Maybe you'd raise your hand and say, well, Todd, I'm old. All of my decisions are like, my story's been told. Your story's not finished being told until you go home. And you can walk intentionally with God today, building treasure in heaven and advancing the cause of Christ At the heart of this is a life of purpose. And I think our generation, this generation right now, is struggling with what the meaning of life is. I don't know if it's more than other generations, but I think people are lost and don't know why in the world am I here. And they're wrestling with the same questions that we did in some ways. Is it money? Is it a house? Is it cars? Is it? Relationships, is it popularity? Is it a job? Is it being able to impress the neighbors by what I drive and my vacations? Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. It's when all of those things are done in Christ. Take hope, my friends. You can walk intentionally with God because of the gospel. I hope you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am convinced of your goodness and your power and your love. And because of that, we have hope. I know that all of us fall desperately short and get off the path and miss the mark and get led astray. But Father, I pray that today we would trust you that we would look to your word, that we would soften our hearts, and that you would speak to us again and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.